Good morning. And welcome to worship, both to you who are here and others who are joining us online. Our worship this morning begins on page 16 of the worship booklet with Confession 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, let us confess our sins to the Lord. Our gracious Father in heaven has been merciful to us. He sent his only Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen again to the central portion of this week's Gospel lesson in Luke 16, Jesus' parable of the dishonest manager. The dishonest manager has just learned that he will be fired, and this is the plan he comes up with. I know what I will do, so that when I am removed from my position as manager, people will receive me into their houses. He called each one of his master's debtors to him, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, Six hundred gallons of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write three hundred. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, Six hundred bushels of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write four hundred and eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, for the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of the light are. I tell you, make friends for yourselves with unrighteous mammon, so that when it runs out, they will welcome you into the eternal dwellings. Brothers and sisters, Christians like to hear how the gift of salvation in Christ changes their lives for the better. 
And today we want to zero in on one part of that transformation. What will the gift of salvation mean for you and your money and possessions, your mammon? I'd like to deal with that question in three steps. First, a few comments on the parable. Then, a look at an illuminating passage from elsewhere in Luke. And finally, a story I heard from a friend. First then, some comments on the parable. Bible scholars have differing views of what is going on in the story when the manager helps his debtors rewrite their bills. Could, could we turn this down? I'm getting a lot of ringing. Thank you. Is he cheating his master out of some of his property? in order to get a job later on with one of the debtors who has been relieved? If so, Jesus is not telling uh, his disciples to imitate the crooked behavior of the manager, but rather to learn this lesson. While the manager made friends for himself in a sinful way, you, disciples of Jesus, can make friends for yourself in a godly way using your resources generously to endear yourselves to some of the very people you will be spending eternity with. But some Bible scholars suggest other interpretations. One of them is this. The manager is called dishonest because of his past mishandling of his master's assets. But once he's told he will be fired, he makes a turn for the better. In this reading of the parable, the IOUs state a total figure that covers what was loaned out from the master's resources and the surcharge, the sometimes exorbitant surcharge that the manager had been able to add as his commission from the master for arranging the transaction. So, when the manager tells the debtors to reduce their IOUs, he's giving up his own commission as a favor to the debtors. In that case, Jesus would be saying to his disciples, do the same. Use your money and possessions to make friends who will welcome you into the eternal dwellings in heaven. Well, whatever way we interpret the storyline, Jesus' point remains essentially the same. You can use your money and possessions to help people in this world. Do so. Two obvious ways of doing that come to mind. One is to use your money and possessions to help people, especially fellow Christians, who are struggling financially, whether with chronic poverty or as the result of some catastrophe. The other is to make contributions to the church's ministry and mission so that those who are already Christians may be preserved in the faith and those who are not may be one for Christ. On Judgment Day, Jesus will review your life publicly, leaving out all the sinful parts forgiven and forgotten. But he will celebrate publicly 
all the good you have done, including your secret acts of charity, by saying, well done, good and faithful servant of all those things you did for him. And then all your fellow saints who benefited from your generosity will welcome you and add to your joy in heaven. Now, I think it's helpful to put this lesson in perspective by taking a broader view of the God-pleasing use of mammon. And for that, let's look at another passage in Luke's Gospel. You recall how someone once came to Jesus and asked if it is proper to pay taxes to the Romans. And Jesus called for a coin and pointed out the image and inscription on it, marking it as something issued by Caesar's government. Jesus said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. The point is not that everything that had Caesar's name on it belonged personally to Caesar, much less that the government could make totalitarian claims upon the Jews, claiming all their uh, lives and hearts and all their actions and possessions. Rather, the existence of Roman coins in use among the Jews was a reminder that the Roman government was in power. Why? Because God put them in power, and God gave that government, along with every other government, the right to collect taxes. But Jesus went on to say, Give to God what is God's. And what belongs to God? Everything. Whatever we have, God wants us to give to him, along with all our love and obedience. And he has various ways for us to do that. When we pay taxes, we are not just giving the government what the government has a right to collect. We are at the same time giving to God what is God's, because he wants us to pay our taxes. He also wants us to take care of our own needs if we are able. And we don't do that, to use Luther's vivid picture, by sitting at the kitchen table with our mouths open, waiting for a roasted chicken to fly down from heaven straight into our mouths. We have to pay for our food, and for our clothing, and housing, and utilities, and medical services, and more. Whatever you pay in order to keep alive and healthy and well-equipped to serve God, you are giving to God. If you are parents, then you need to pay for the needs of your children as well. And in this way, you give back to God more of what is God's. Now, God does not insist that we aim for the bare minimum in these acts of love. Whatever we do in love, he is delighted with. Saturday night, I took my wife out to dinner. Money well spent and given back to the Lord. Now, it would be a shame if we turned this into self-deception, a little game in which we spend, spend, spend on, on me, 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 and then I call my selfishness 
giving to God what is God's. God has sent us his Holy Spirit to lead us in a mature and responsible use of our resources in his service. And the Spirit of God, dwelling in our hearts through faith in Jesus, convinces us that love is not limited to the immediate family. There are wider opportunities, and some of them are especially urgent. That is why God, again and again in the scriptures, holds before us the poor and the church's ministry and mission. These are not the only ways we give to God what is God's, but they are important parts of a life of Christian management of what God has entrusted to us. Giving to the church and giving to the financially struggling are acts dear to God, and here he promises this reward in a, a kind of special way. His people who benefit from your generosity will someday welcome you into the eternal dwellings in heaven. It will be worthwhile. Finally, the story I promised a few minutes ago. I got this story long ago from a friend and colleague who has since gone to his reward. He recalled a chapel service from his own student days in a setting very much like this one. The preacher that day was talking to the students about money and giving, and he said something roughly along these lines. Of course, you students will want to be realistic. You don't have much money now. You may be borrowing just to get an education. You will want to put off giving until later. And when you graduate and enter the ministry, you won't be making much money. You'll probably get married and need to furnish and keep up a house. And when children come, the expenses will mount greatly. Giving to the church and to the financially struggling must wait, mustn't it? Then when the nest is empty, you'll have to think that much more seriously about saving up for retirement. You don't want to be a burden to the community or to the church. And when you actually retire, you may be on a fixed income that doesn't go very far. Suddenly, a whole life has gone by. Opportunities have been passed up, and the teaching of Jesus has gone for nothing. You don't want that to be true at any stage of your life, do you? My friend said that that little sermon made a lasting impression on him when he was a student. I hope it makes an impression on you. Still more, I hope that the parable of Jesus and the lessons he drew from it make a deep impression on you, and that your faith in the gospel turns that impression into action. Let us now sing our posted hymn.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bring your help and healing to all the people of this world. Govern those who govern us and all nations, so that world leaders and local officials seek peace and justice. Control nature for our good, and put your blessing upon all who work to supply our needs. We pray especially for your church. Give success to gospel preaching and to the private testimony of your faithful people. Give strength to all Christians as they bear crosses for you and lead them to adorn their confession of faith with godly lives. All this we ask in the name of your dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Receive with believing hearts the benediction of the Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.